For the first time since 2009, the U.S. gross domestic product was negative for two quarters in a row. After dropping 1.6% during the first quarter of 2022, the GDP fell another 0.9% in the second quarter, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. The definition of a recession, according to economists, history, and the dictionary, is two quarters of negative GDP growth. Or at least that's how the old dictionary defined it. Now we have a new definition of a recession, two quarters of negative GDP growth when a Republican is in office. You see, the Democrats have been playing fast and loose with definitions for years. Why not just have an entirely different dictionary now when you're talking about the other side of the aisle? Wouldn't that just save us all a lot of time if we just went ahead and did that? Like when Donald Trump decided to build a border wall, the Democrats said that this was a racist, terrible thing. It was a waste of money. But when President Joe Biden decided to start building the border wall in Arizona this past week, it was touted by his press secretary as a life-saving measure. You see, a wall is racist, but only when a Republican wants to build it. Or when Democrats were riding on federal property a few years ago, putting courthouses and police stations in flames. It was called fiery, but mostly peaceful. But when Republicans did it, it was an attack on our democracy and an insurrection. After witnessing the suicides of Merriam-Webster and Oxford, I guess Wikipedia decided that it couldn't resist following right behind them into oblivion after changing the definition of recession to the new Democrat-approved definition and then locking the page so that nobody could fix it. It had people questioning what the word definition even means anymore. So Wikipedia also changed and then locked the definition of the word definition. And that last part there is actually not fake news. In fact, nothing I've said so far is. This is Luke Taylor. Welcome to a fiery, but mostly peaceful podcast. Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. You see, the media tries to mislead you literally every day. But each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this roundup of the past week of fake news. And speaking of austere religious scholar, that was a term that the media came up with. And they came up with this back when Donald Trump, uh, back when he was president, and he killed a terrorist with a raid back in October of 2019. His name was Abu al-Baghdadi. He was the most wanted terrorist leader in the world, ever since the death of Osama bin Laden. And so when Trump ordered the raid that killed him, the Washington Post, they were so anti-Trump, they tried to drum up sympathy for this terrorist that Trump had killed. And they actually ran a headline announcing this terrorist's death. And it it ran like this. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of, of Islamic State, dies at 48. That's how the Washington Post lamented the killing of this terrorist who was responsible for dozens, I mean, if not hundreds of deaths, including the deaths of American citizens, they called him an austere religious scholar. And so if you ever wonder why I like to introduce myself that way, um, that's where that comes from. And I bring that up because this week, President Biden is now responsible for a drone strike on a terrorist of his own. He authorized a strike this past week on Ayman al-Zawari, and uh, as reported, it states... The United States killed al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawari with a drone missile 
while he stood on a balcony at his home in Kabul, Afghanistan. Okay, that was how Washington rep- the Washington Post reported this one. And so I guess this is a benefit to letting Afghanistan fall to the terrorists last year. Now we know where all the terrorists are. So this time, Washington Post reports, the United States has killed Ayman al-Zawari, the leader of al-Qaeda, and one of the world's most wanted terrorists, who alongside the group's founder, Osama bin Laden, oversaw the attacks of September 11, 2001, President Biden announced Monday evening. So you see a little bit of a difference there. When Trump kills a terrorist, he's austere religious scholar. When Biden kills a terrorist, leader of al-Qaeda and one of the world's most wanted. Now, if you read between the lines, you might notice a subtle difference in those two descriptions. Okay, you might need to get out your magnifying glass. I mean, it's really hidden. You have to look deep. But the words scholar and terrorist, they actually have two entirely different meanings. You know, if you look closely, it's almost like the media operates with different definitions when it's a Republican or a Democrat in office. And and that's what brought us to our opening earlier with recession. You know, early last week, the White House announced that it was redefining recession. Now, why? Well, they knew that the they knew what news was coming out later that week. They announced that two quarters of negative GDP growth, the White House announced that it no longer meant that we were in a recession. They announced that on Monday, and that redefinition came just in time because on Friday they had to announce that we had the second straight quarter of negative GDP growth. If things are going so great, though, then why is it the White House officials are trying to redefine recession? No, we're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. That is not the definition. Brian Deese said in 2008, of course, economists have a technical definition, which is of a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. I can tell you this. And yesterday said two two negative quarters of GDP growth is not the technical definition of a recession. It is what not. Changed? It is not. Why did he say that it, it was? It is not. I can, sp- I, can speak to, I can speak to you to what he said t- yesterday in front of all of you, which is the last thing that you just repeated. There are many factors. There are many factors, economic factors and indicators to consider. Uh, and I will say that uh, the textbook definition of recession is not, is not two negative quarters of GDP. And so the media lackeys, you know, predictably, they couldn't be more excited to announce that even though we've had two quarters of negative GDP growth in in a row, we were not in a recession. I got these headlines on my phone right as they came in, okay? Let me read the the Fox one first, because at least Fox was a little bit more honest this time, as they generally are. Breaking news, U.S. in a recession as GDP contracts for second consecutive quarter. Okay, factually true. Here's how CNN and many other outlets reported this. The U.S. economy shrinks for a second quarter in a row, fueling recession fears. So CNN reports it as, uh uh-oh, this, you know, the fact that we're in in a recession, this is fueling recession fears. They don't want to outright tell you that, yes, we are actually in a recession. They just want you to know it's fueling the fears. So at least Fox was more straightforward about this. Um, The media is really quick to try to tell us that the bad news about the economy, it is not actually evidence of a recession, even though it meets the definition of a recession. 
But this bad news about the economy is actually good news about the economy. And why? Well, because we have a Democrat in office. All signs are that this is a strong economy and the probability of a recession within the next year is not particularly elevated. It's a strong economy and, and nothing about it suggests that it's that it's close to or vulnerable to a recession. I don't expect a recession. No, no one is predicting a recession now. We are not expecting that we are already in the recession. In fact, the guts and the bones of this economy remain strong. These are not the marks of an economy in recession. Right now, we don't see a recession. Right now, that is not, we're not in a recession right now. This is not an economy that's in recession. Not only is a recession not inevitable, but I think that a lot of people are underestimating those strengths and the resilience of the American economy. We have a strong labor market, which you don't normally see in a recession. I think what we have been able to determine just from the evidence of our own eyes, of what we've observed over the past couple of years, liberal and progressive economic policy doesn't work because it's out of touch with human nature. It's out of touch with reality. And that's why when the outcomes don't go their way, when when they do what they want and it creates bad news for them, they try to rewrite reality. They try to change definitions. They want to control the narrative and the media goes right along with them. It's just like when the COVID vaccination came out, you know, a year or two back and they changed the definition of vaccination from saying that it provides immunity to saying that it provides resistance. And they also changed the definition of anti-vax around that time. It used to mean that you were someone who was opposed to any and all vaccinations. We called such a person an anti-vaxxer. The new definition of anti-vax was someone who was opposed to any vaccination. So that meant if you were in favor of 99% of vaccinations, but you didn't want to get the COVID vaccination because you know it was so new, and so quickly developed, if you didn't want to get it, you are now an anti-vaxxer under that new definition. Not only that, they added in that you're also an anti-vaxxer if you oppose vaccine mandates. Not just opposing vaccines, but opposing legal policy that forces you to get a certain vaccination. If you are against that, you are now an anti-vaxxer. That means you could go out and get all the vaccines that are out there, including the COVID vaccine, and you can be in favor of other people getting the COVID vaccine and totally support getting any and all vaccinations. But if you are not in favor of the government forcing people to get the COVID vax, you are an anti-vaxxer under their new definition. Now you say, that doesn't make any sense. Listen, they don't care if it makes sense. The people out there who are controlling the definitions they don't care about it making sense. They just want to control you. Okay? And by the way, that was no joke what I said earlier about changing the definition of definition. Okay? A definition used to just be what words mean. Wikipedia actually changed the definition of definition last week. Okay? Here's the new definition of definition. They now say that it's a fluid understanding of meaning. A fluid understanding of meaning. They put in the word fluid because they want to be able to change it anytime they want to. Because fluid means flexible. It's whatever the Democrats want it to be at any given time. Now, of course, it's not that fluid because Wikipedia locked it right after they put in the new definition of definition, that it's a fluid meaning. Then they locked the page from being changed. So, hey, it's fluid, but also now it can't be changed. Now that it says what the Democrats want it to say or at least what they wanted to say this week. 
Okay, well, speaking of fluids, let's talk about how to get monkeypox. And I'm just going to point out right now, I try to have like a family-friendly program. You know, I, I mean, I'm a, as I've said before, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I I, I try to keep it clean here. Um, I mean, I'm not going to come on and use profanity and stuff like that. But I'm going to let you know that this next story, it might have some PG-13 material in it, okay? I'm not going to try to say anything graphic. I'm just trying to be honest as I report on this next thing. So I just want to warn you of that in case you have kids around. Um, I try to put the times in in the show notes, and this is one of the reasons why. So if you don't like this story or if you don't want to listen to it right now, you can skip ahead to the next story if you want to. That's what the show notes are there for. But um, I want to talk a little bit here. I want to give you the truth that the government and the media is not going to tell you about monkeypox. Okay, I'm sure you've heard of monkeypox by now. The government is declaring monkeypox a national emergency. That's breaking news just from today. Three states already had declared it a national or a statewide emergency. And the Biden administration has announced that it's also going to declare monkeypox to be a national emergency and also appoint a monkeypox coordinator. Please, President Biden, please make me your monkeypox coordinator. I greatly desire to get the business cards printed up that say Luke Taylor, monkeypox coordinator. And also, here's a great benefit. If you hire me, you will actually hire someone who's going to tell the truth. Okay, someone who will objectively do a better job handling this outbreak than whoever it is that you actually do pick. Because I will tell people the truth about monkeypox, something that the government, the Democrats, and the media are absolutely not going to tell you about the severity of this outbreak, okay? Monkeypox is, here's the truth. Here's what you might not want kids to hear. Monkeypox is almost entirely spread through sexual contact between people of the same gender, okay? It's basically an STD that almost entirely affects gay people. It's kind of like AIDS in that way. Monkeypox is basically the AIDS of a new generation. I don't mean that it acts the same way that AIDS does, but this is our generation's AIDS. This is how it's going to spread for however long it spreads. I don't think it's going to be quite the panic or kill as many people as AIDS did. But it's going to spread in much the same way within much of the same community, okay? I'm not trying to be graphic about this. What I am going to do here is play a clip. It's a little bit more graphic than what I've been saying, but it's also being factual. This is a clip. This actually aired on Fox News. As for monkeypox, I, I think there's a pretty good rule in life. Uh, don't attend gay orgies. Uh, when you look at the New England Journal's report of the 548 orgies that they reviewed. Ned, come on, man. It's not what? about gay. How about no, not absolutely. any orgies? Go look, at, go look at the New England Journal's report that NBC News reported on, on Friday in which of the 528 cases they reviewed, 95% were between sex between men. Yeah, I think we actually have to have a serious conversation about where this is coming from. from. When I'm done, Brad, you can talk. Instead of going crazy and declaring a national pandemic when 3,000 people have it right now, it's insane. I don't know, man. You don't have to be gay to get monkeypox, and uh, you don't have to be bigoted when you talk about treating something that is that easily spread, Marie. It's not bigoted. Yeah, it is. This, this is science, Kennedy. 95% yeah. of the cases from the New right, England I, you Journal You know what? I'm going to let Brad respond. Okay, I'm going to let Brad respond because, Brad, we had 372 doses. The United States, in Denmark, where the, the smallpox, monkeypox vaccine is manufactured, they were ready to go, but uh, because this has 
been an issue for more men in the gay community, it seems like it has been lower on the priority list. Brad. Yeah, look, Ned is right when he says that monkeypox right now is mostly affecting gay men. The problem is that public health-wise, not going to orgies in general is a good policy to not get sexually transmitted diseases. 100%. And so we have to be really careful. We saw with the AIDS crisis, with the HIV crisis, about how certain communities or certain gay people will be stigmatized yes. over something that lots of people do. And we got to be careful about that. And that kind of, I will use the term, bigoted language that makes it seem like the only people they get this are from one group of Americans. Hey, guess what? Gay men also have friends and family members and colleagues, and this is not just transmitted through sexual activity. It's transmitted through close contact. So you don't fight diseases. I'm glad Brad brought up HIV AIDS. You don't fight diseases by caricaturing the people who get them or who get them at one point in time. So one man provides facts about how monkeypox is spread, and he's told that he's using bigoted language, that facts can be bigoted. Someone else you know on there says, hey, it's not just gay people who can get monkeypox. I mean, it's anybody who's going to orgies that could get monkeypox. Well, that's true, I guess. If, if we want to say straight people do orgies too, I, that's debatable, I guess. But um, here's, the, here's the fact, though. It's almost entirely people in the gay community who are engaging in these orgies, these orgies of sexual activity and spreading this disease. 95% of the time, that is where it is being spread. And so... Um, the reason that I, Luke Taylor, that I would make a better monkeypox coordinator than whoever President Biden ultimately picks is that I'm willing to actually say that, okay? The monkeypox cases, they've been traced back to, to orgies and to these, these bathhouses or spas that a lot of gay people attend. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what the definition of a bathhouse or spa is. Um, not that definitions matter, <laughs> I guess, because they change day to day. I can't really tell you what they're supposed to be, but I can tell you what they're actually being used for. It's become apparent that many of these, I'm not saying all of them because I don't know really much about those type of places, but it's becoming apparent that these are hot spots of sexual activity, uh, especially among strangers, okay? And they're very popular in California, which is why California is one of the three states that has declared monkeypox an emergency. Um, San Francisco, was the first major city to declare monkeypox to be a local emergency. And I'm sure you can imagine why, okay? I'm sure if Sodom and Gomorrah were still around, they'd probably be having a monkeypox problem too. Uh, CNN reports, monkeypox is a pox virus related to smallpox that usually causes pimple or blister-like lesions, as well as flu-like symptoms, such as fever, headaches, muscle aches, chills, and respiratory symptoms, according to the CDC. The virus can spread to anyone through close, often skin-to-skin contact, according to the CDC. It's also possible for people to get monkeypox from infected animals. So, to be a little bit more clear, when it says skin-to-skin contact, what they aren't saying is that it's sexual contact of a homosexual nature. They actually say um, that it can be spread through kissing, but only if you kiss for several hours. (laughs) Monkeypox is spread... Through other ways, so uh, generally. So if you get monkeypox, we have some questions for you. And and if you get it from an animal, we have questions that I actually don't want to ask you, but um, you won't won't get monkeypox from using the same water fountain as someone who has it. You won't get monkeypox from a handshake. Um, There's really just a specific way, one specific activity in which you are likely to contract 
monkeypox. And so if I were a monkeypox coordinator, what I would probably do is try to shut down these bathhouses and spas, and I would ask the gay community to stop engaging in sexual activity with strangers, you know, at least for a few months, okay, until the threat passes. If you could just have some self-control in that area for a little bit, that seems like a good first step. At least asking, okay, I know we can't like probably enforce that, but at least asking, right? Spreading awareness that that's how this is, that this, that's how this is spreading. Um, if that sounds a little extreme to you, let me point out that with COVID, they said we had to shut down all of society for a few months. Okay, do you remember six weeks to stop the spread? Which I think it started as two weeks, and then it became six weeks, and then it became six months in some places. And, and that was even when your region wasn't even a hot spot for COVID. They just did it as a precaution. They shut down all of society. They shut down schools, businesses, and churches indefinitely. But then for monkeypox, we know exactly what locations where this is being spread. We know exactly where we need to shut it down, what activities that we should discourage to stop the spread. And yet the government is going to do nothing about it. They won't even say that that's where the problem is. And the Washington Post, of course, is, is right alongside them um, in most of the mainstream media. But Washington Post, they put out this tweet just today. Sex is a major driver of the global monkeypox outbreak. But health officials and longtime HIV activists say calls for abstinence don't work. Now, the strategy would work if people would actually do it. You know, if the gay community would actually follow that advice. The problem's not with the strategy the problem is in the LGBT crowd that for some reason they are saying, they are saying this themselves, that they cannot be ex expected to be abstinent and to stop having sexual encounters with strangers. Um, Senator, Senator Scott Weiner, which that is his real name. I'm not making a joke here. That's his name. Promoting an upcoming sexual festival in San Francisco. Um, that's where he's a senator from. Okay, a literal senator is promoting an upcoming sexual festival. It's that's kind of coded language. It's actually one of these meetup sites for all the it's it's one of these hotspots for where they're going to have all these gay orgies, okay? Just to be honest. Which is what I'm trying to do today. Just tell you the truth. But he's promoting this sexual festival. It's being promoted by a literal senator, Scott Weiner, who's telling people how to still attend it but without having to worry about monkeypox. He tweets out Awesome San Francisco AIDS Foundation guidance on monkeypox and fun. We can continue to have fun while, in, while reducing risk. And you can guess what the word fun means there. This is, this is what he follows up with. Closing bathhouses in the 1980s didn't reduce HIV. It was an epic blunder and pushed people into the shadows. Let's not make that same knee-jerk mistake with monkeypox. Okay? And so as I said, he, he provided a link right there from the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. All right? And when you click the link, here is what you are taken to. It's a website. It says at the top of this article, hot tips for a fun and filthy weekend free of anxiety. This is what the senator is tweeting out to his constituents in San Francisco where they're having a monkeypox emergency and they have this upcoming festival where they're all going to get together. And this is what he tells them. This is what he tweets out to them. He tweets out this link for, as the link says, not me, this is what the link even says, a fun and filthy weekend. Okay, here's a quote from the link. This is the health guidance that the senator is sharing with his people. See a bump on your skin and worried that it might be monkeypox? 
If you're not sure, and you still want to go out tonight, cover it up with a band-aid or clothing before you go out. That's what he tells people. That is what this San Francisco AIDS Foundation is telling the, the gay community, the people of San Francisco, if you want to go out and have fun tonight, and you see a bump on your skin that you're worried might be monkeypox, they tell you, put a Band-Aid on it. That is the health guidance. If you think you have monkeypox, put a Band-Aid on it and go do, I guess, what you want. That's from a senator from San Francisco. Senator Weiner. Guys, this is not a serious government. They have no real interest in stopping monkeypox. They will not do anything to inhibit gay sexual activity. They're not going to discourage these, these gay sex parties. When it came to COVID, they shut down churches at the mere threat of the virus. For monkeypox, they're not even going to consider discouraging sexual activity. Now, why is this their policy? I have no idea. I know why Satan would have this policy. I'm not sure why the Democrats also have this policy. But this is not something that society at large has to worry about. Despite whatever the Biden administration and their eventual monkeypox coordinator is going to say, this is not a real emergency. It's not going to be COVID all over again. Speaking of COVID all over again, let's pause here for a message from our president. A couple of weeks ago, he got COVID. And then a few days later, he got COVID all over again. Actually, let's go back further than that. If we go back to Wednesday, July 13th, while speaking in front of a garbage dump, the president announced that he had cancer. Now, if you think I'm joking so far, I'm being literal here. The president remarked offhandedly while he was speaking in front of a landfill that he had cancer and people freaked out. And the White House later clarified that he did not have cancer, that he was referring to some cancer cells that he had removed years ago. And then the next day, the president announced that he had COVID. And then a few days later, he announced that he no longer had COVID. And then four days after that, he announced that he had COVID again. So this is, hey, I haven't had a program in about a month. So I'm really, I'm going back a few weeks here, just kind of catching you up on news from the past month. That was the timeline of events. Something really fishy about all that. Okay. I've heard of return cases of COVID before. I've never heard of it coming back four days later. So it's weird that somebody would say that at all. And it's weirder that of all the people who've, who would say that, it happens to be the person who's president of the United States. I'm suspicious that I, I feel like there's more to the story here. We may never know what it is, um, but I'm suspicious that there, I think there's more to it than that. He seems to be well now, once again. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see if... If he ends up getting COVID a third time. I noticed that the media, they had a much more tepid response to this president getting COVID than the last one. I remember when Trump got COVID, he was lambasted as irresponsible and reckless. Even, even Biden himself as a candidate back then was just talking about how reckless that Trump was to even get COVID. That it was, you know, it was a moral failure to catch a virus. His reckless personal conduct since his diagnosis the destabilizing effect it's having on our government is unconscionable. Um, let's also not forget what Biden himself was saying merely one year ago, what he was saying about COVID vaccinations. We're going to pause here for a message from our president, not from 
from this past month, but what he was saying one year ago this month. In fact, one year to the day before he had his own COVID diagnosis. You're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. So, in a one-year span, Biden has been twice vaccinated and twice boosted, and now he's got twice COVID. Okay. Now, if you'd gotten four shots to avoid some kind of sickness, and then you get that sickness anyway, twice, it could call into question the efficacy of that shot. It's too bad that if you even question the effectiveness of, of the COVID vaccination, you can get suspended on social media. So we're definitely not doing that today. Don't worry. We're not questioning anything. All right, guys, hang around. I've got a special thing today. I'm going to have a guest on the program. So we're going to take a short break, and then I'm going to be joined by my friend, Jarrett Frill. Well, I'm really excited today to welcome onto the program uh, my good friend, Jarrett Frill. I've known Jarrett for several years now, um, kind of watched him grow up. Uh, we've been going to the same church for over a decade. So uh, Jarrett is 22 and a community college graduate, high school graduate, and finding his place in the world now, and has also found some interesting things to do with his time the past few years. And I, I was listening to him tell me about some stuff that he's up to, so I really wanted to bring him on the fake news podcast and just let him share with you a little bit because Jarrett always has something interesting to say. So Jarrett, thanks for being on the fake news podcast with us today. Thanks for having me. Now you've listened to several episodes of the show. You've been a, a longtime listener, even though the podcast is not even a year old, but you've been there basically since the beginning. So <laughs> you're, you're one of our longest fans. And uh, uh, so it's, it's really cool to have you actually be part of the show today. And I hope it's not for the last time. So you are, like we said, you're really into history. That's right. Is that what you got a degree in whenever you went to college? Yeah, that's right. Is a history degree. And you always have so many detailed stories about things that happened long, long time ago. Like, I'm just always amazed. It's not like you just put down a history book, but you'll start talking about something from history. And it's like... You remember all the details like you just read it five minutes ago. It's just amazing how your brain catalogs all that stuff. So it's really impressive. And I was thinking like, you know, since we talk about current events and a lot of them do connect with things that happen in history, it would be kind of neat to get your take on a few different news stories. But, but first, but first, I'm talking too much. Um, you were telling me that you volunteer with the, the Galena, His well, tell me what it's called. It's the Galena Historical Mining Museum. In Galena, Kansas. Okay, so Galena, Kansas, that's about like five miles from Joplin. Uh, and Joplin's where I live, Joplin, Missouri. But we're right on the state line, so you just cross over the state line, and suddenly over there in Kansas, you're in a town called Galena. And so I guess it has a mining history. I mean, I don't really know. It's five miles away, but I don't know that much about it. So so tell us about the history of Galena. Well, uh, if, if on the way into Galena, they probably have signs saying it's the oldest mining town in southeast Kansas. And at the turn of the century, the last century anyways, it was bigger than Joplin and was one of the most prosperous mining camps in the world in terms of the amount of ore. In fact, Galena is another term for lead, and they named the town after that because mostly mm. lead mining, lead and zinc, 
and that, that's mostly what they mined there. They had they didn't just mine; they also had smelters and and other 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 industries. I mean, yeah, they once had a, a trolley line linking Joplin, Carthage, Web City, and it went all the way down to uh, Miami, Oklahoma, I believe. Wow. See, I had no idea about any of this stuff, even though I've been living, like I said, just a few miles away for years. But um, did, did, so, did people come into the the what what'd you call it again? The uh, the Galena Historical Mining Museum. And so people come in and just ask about um, they want a tour of anything or did they, what do yeah, they want yeah, to know no, anything. Um, we we get we're right on Route sixty six, and a lot of a lot of travelers and vacationers they come through and. A lot of them are older folks, but some younger people too. Mm-hmm. And they, they come in and they they, they travel they travel Route sixty six because they watch cars mm. or or something like that. And they they like to get the history of the town. And since we're right there, they they stop by when we're open, and we're we're more than happy to give them tours. And most of them are quite interested. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, so that that's right there on Route sixty six. So. That's going to bring in some tourists, and then the people who want to stop and and hear about it, um, did, are they often interested because they had like a, a family member who was, you know, a miner or something like that? I mean, every now and then we get someone who who has relatives or or lives in Galena, and we would get a lot of people from Joplin, so right across the right across the the state border, mm-hmm. they come by, the, and we get a lot of homeschool kids in the in the during school time and and then in the summertime, and. Um, they're really the best one because they're they show real interest because they're on yeah. a vacation for school more or less not less of a vacation more of schoolwork. Well, it's it's a cool little field trip to go see yeah, something. Yeah, like that. that's why their parents take them there. Yeah, what kind of things do you show them? Oh, oh we have uh, just about everything. We the the museum is housed in the original train depot, the passenger depot in Galena, and. We we have two large extra rooms in the back because the the depot was too small originally, and we have just a, a bit of everything in there. Not not just from Galena, mostly from Galena, but we have some stuff from Joplin and and the surrounding areas. Uh, we have the military section uh, in in the back. I mean, we have we have a nineteen nineteen Model T touring car, wow. and and it works and is in the in the parade every year, hmm. several times a year, really. And we have several other uh, cars back there that, that are in operation that we use in the parade. 1930 Ford pickup truck. Um, I mean, we have we have a film. We have, we have a television in the back, and it runs loops. Uh, we have original footage. That's it's one of my favorite things about the museum. It has has the original footage of the town in around 1919, 1918, and. <laughs> Has horses and automobiles mixed together, going down the same street, and trolley cars running through the middle of them. Hmm. People walking across. They don't even. They don't even look before they cross the street. They just cross amidst all that chaos. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. So um, that doesn't sound like a cool thing for homeschoolers to come visit. And uh, I, I just want to know, as a 22-year-old, and I, you said you've been doing this for three or four years. Yeah, uh, three years now. Been volunteering with them, giving tours. Um, I'm just curious, like so. Probably not a lot of twenty-year-olds out there looking to volunteer at a, at a historical museum to give tours and stuff like that. You're not even getting paid; you're just doing it as a volunteer. I mean, literally. So, what what is it that drew you to that? Well, after high school, I, I was I was interested in history, obviously, and uh, throughout my life. And then I, I got a I got a degree in college for history, and a two two-year degree. And <laughs> there's no other museums in the area besides the Joplin Museum. 
and they didn't need anyone. But the Galena Museum, I, I know the lady who runs it, and I, I'd been there before, and I, I offered to volunteer there, and been there for three years now, near near three years. Yeah. Well, cool, cool. Okay. So that's the, I'm, I'm it, I, you know what we've been here. Let me tell you what Jarrett and I have been doing. We've been doing a VBS, and uh, it's night two. And so we spent like the, the last three hours um, managing little kids, and it's about 9.30 at night, and my brain is tired. So, Jared, I need you to tell me the name <laughs> one more time, because there's like four words, and that's three more words than I can remember right now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the Galena Historical Mining Museum. Okay. It's a long name. Just call it the Galena Museum. <laughs> All right. The Galena Historical Mining Museum. If you are traveling Route 66 and coming anywhere near... Galena, Kansas, you need to stop by and see Jarrett and get a tour and you won't be disappointed. All right. Hey, Jarrett, uh, can I get you to react to a few different random things? Because one thing I like is talking news with Jarrett and he always has some interesting takes on things, interesting interesting reactions and and probably could throw out, um, give us a history lesson on something too. You just never know what he's going to say. So you want to you wanna me to throw a few things at you? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go <laughs> okay. Ahead. I'm going to pull up a video here. Okay, so this is an audio podcast. I'm going to have to explain for people what's going on. Right. But um, there's this shopkeeper, okay? He's 80 years old. He's going to be up here in the corner mm-hmm. of the screen. And this this punk walks in with like some kind of rifle and wants to rob him. And you'll see how this goes down. So you saw in about, that was 10 seconds long from the time that he walked in to the time that the shop owner here pulls out a shotgun and blasts him. <laughs> well, you do the crime. I mean, you do the time. That guy's going to have quite a bit of pain. Oh, but let me keep playing. Let me keep playing. So in a second, it switches. it's going to switch to the camera outside where his buddies are. Okay. So watch, watch what happens here in a few seconds. So he's yelling, he shot my arm off. And they almost drive off without him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're driving off without him. I, I like how the other guy was about to go in until he heard that, that blast. And yeah. then he, he decided to back out of there real quick. Yeah. So for those of you listening, um, and you can probably find the video places. It, the one I found is called 80-Year-Old Store Owner Shoots Robber. Um, so there's actually three guys. And the first one walks in and immediately gets shot by this 80-year-old man. And he goes running out, and so the other guys all flip out, and they start trying to drive off, and almost leave one of them behind. It's it's pretty great. Yeah, so. for being an uh, for being an eighty year old uh, man, I mean, he, he has good reaction time with that, yeah. that shotgun. He must have had that thing right under the counter. It was ready right to within go. reach, and, and he and only took one shot. And he hit the guy. <laughs> yeah, only took him a couple seconds to realize what was going on. To he's quick, quicker yeah. than Biden. <laughs> that's that's some quick reactions. Yeah, there's someone who's the same age as him. Um, pretty, pretty sharp reaction right there. So these guys are probably thinking, oh, hey, you know, this old dude, we can, we can rob him and get away with a, um, a few bags full of money or something like that. They think this is going to be an easy get. And first guy walks in and is immediately (laughs) turned around. So (laughs) you don't mess with this guy. Didn't realize that it was Clint Eastwood in there. Um, (laughs) About the same age too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so here's, here's one thing I was thinking on this. Guns are the great 
um, equalizer when it comes to confrontations. And I feel like that's important because we see that, um, the, I'm just going to say the left, the, de- the Democratic Party in this country, those on the left, they would love to disarm us, to get rid of the Second Amendment, to, to keep us from even owning guns. Um, some of them are very open about that. Others are more subtle, but I mean, it's pretty clear that's that's what they'd love to do. Um, and they say, you know, hey, if, if we didn't have guns, then this store owner, he probably wouldn't have needed to worry about getting you know, held up with a gun in the first place because there wouldn't be guns. But you know what I love about this is that it you had these three 30-year-old guys and you had this one old man with a shotgun and the fact that they were both armed, that made it a little bit more of a fair fight. If they'd all been unarmed, these three criminals probably would have still tried to go in and rob him and three 30-year-old guys could probably take an 80-year-old man. But when he can have his own self-protection, it's much more of a fair fight, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we need only look at uh, the policy that the Europeans have been taking on gun control and the the fact that you don't have a gun is not going to stop people from doing crime. I mean, mm-hmm. Cain killed his brother with a rock, so mm-hmm. <laughs> you, need, you don't need a gun to to be violent and hurt others and kill others. And the, the stabbings attest for that over in, in, in England and, and France. Yeah. And these people, they don't, they don't need guns. They don't do mass shootings over there. Because they just they use an automobile and they run it into crowds yep. or uh, what was it? I, I was, it was a long while ago. Mass stabbings in China. Yeah, guys randomly attack for no reason. They just get get attacked with a knife. I mean, it happens here, but it, it's with guns. But at mm-hmm. least at least you, I don't I don't know. It's uh, the criminals are always going to have guns, and the the left they 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 just don't want the good guys to have guns. Mm-hmm. The regular regular folk, but they don't police their own cities so how are they going to take the guns away from the criminals huh yeah they'll take them away from honest citizens that's for sure yeah yeah like a few years ago when there was that there's like a spate of terrorist attacks people were committing a lot of times in europe with automobiles running them into crowds and that happens in america too but you know what you you, they killed a lot more people than the typical mass shooting you know mass shootings kill five to ten people a lot of times but those automobile attacks, one one of them killed like over fifty. It hit over. Yeah, he killed over like I don't know eighty people. Yeah, it was on a semi. It was a, a, in France, I think. It was a semi truck. Yeah. So, like just because you just because you don't have a gun doesn't mean you can't do a lot of damage. But if both sides have a gun, it's much more of an equal fight. That's right. And I'm sure Abel was wishing he had an AR-15 <laughs> of his own back then. I got got another reaction video for you. Okay. Um, so. This one, I figure you might have some commentary on this. Okay, so there's this old man. I'll turn it here. For the for those of you listening, there's this elderly gentleman, and uh, this is in like London, England, or somewhere in England. Okay, there's an elderly gentleman, and the police are at his house because of an image that he shared on Facebook, and it was something that was anti-transgenderism. He basically, I think he got like the the gay pride flag or the transgender pride flag. Um, he shared a picture of it on Facebook, but it was like made into the shape of a swastika. And so some people over there were offended about this. And I, this is a 30 second clip of when the cops showed up at his house. And so let me just play this. Just which Hampshire police would realize how ridiculous this is. What did it need to come to? Because I don't understand. I posted something that he posted, you come to arrest me, you don't arrest him, why has it come to this? Why am I in cuffs? Because of something 
he shared than I shared. Because someone has been caused, obviously, anxiety based upon your social media page. That's not his. why you've been arrested. Goodness, this video is causing me anxiety. Get the <laughs> cop arrested. Yeah, I mean, just think about this, how crazy this is. I mean, someone gets offended over over a, a post and the police come and arrest you. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm glad I... Can you imagine what the the guys who, who fought at Dunkirk would be think, thinking right now? Mm. I mean, they they fought and then and died for, for that. For, the, for it to come to this, it's, it's a... Someone slipped somewhere in the past 50 or 60 years, mm -hmm. and um, they slipped up pretty bad. <laughs> we're, we're in a cesspool of a society, I guess, when it comes to that. I mean, the, the cop said it, in case anyone missed it. He said, someone has been caused anxiety by your social media post. And that's why the police are there to arrest this guy. And so I don't know what's going to come next. Yeah, him. I know. And, and it's... it's um. It's like like Australia. Uh, I mean, it's 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 not even communism. It's 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 almost worse because at least people in in the USSR could step outside their concrete blockhouse, <laughs> and uh, you know they weren't they weren't locked inside all the time. I mean, I guess they still had the lived under the threat, but goodness. Um, yeah, but so I don't think they have well. like something like the First Amendment in England. A freedom of speech no no they, they don't it's, i mean they must not if this kind of thing can happen no i, I yeah i i i've read about that actually um this this right here i saw i, saw, I actually saw it today on youtube mm -hmm. the guy getting arrested so hmm. but you know this kind of connects back with that first story too you disarm the population and a few years later cops are showing up to arrest you for something that you put on facebook you know, and I'm not saying the, the, that we're supposed to just fight back against the cops, but it, I'm just saying the government stops being afraid of the citizens. And that's part of the purpose of the Second Amendment in America is that it, it, we kind of keep the government on its toes. We keep the government, um, we tell, you know, we're telling them there's a limit to what you can do to us because we can fight back if we want to. And when you don't have that, look what happens. <laughs> and I, I know it's not the cops fault either, but it it's... You'd think they'd organize some sort of yeah. resistance. I mean, they have power. What is the government going to do? Take the guns away from the cops? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if they even have guns in England. So they might yeah. still have carry batons and pepper spray. I, I don't see a... I don't know. I don't. It might be on the other side, but I don't see a gun on this cop's hip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the cops are a powerful force. And if enough of them banded together against this this Id idiocracy mm -hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't have this but the cops they're they're bowing in because they're afraid for their job when they mm -hmm. they should realize they're they're the ones with the power in the end because they have the ones they're the ones who have the weapons the training and the ability if they would just stick together yeah they could I, they could resist it i mean yeah it's like the military what are you going to do i mean if someone if the politicians against the military and you start disarming them and mm -hmm. and the military if enough of them band together i mean they don't have to stand for it i mean it's not yeah. not right but i mean there's there's a time when you got to put your foot down as a decent person stop being cowardly mm -hmm. and just going with it because you you become part of the problem that's what we and, the, need. and the people resent you for it because you're the one you're even if you don't agree with it you're still working for these crooked crooked people politicians mm -hmm. and such for their agenda and I mean, sure, you want your job, but there comes job or I don't know morals. I mean, yeah. as a man or a woman, you need your principles. Yeah, your principles. Yeah, that's the right word. 
you got to have your principles and is it worth having your job if you sacrifice your principles i mean right i mean what what even makes you you're just a stooge at that point and we need good people in the in the military and in the police forces and you see some of the stuff our military is doing lately that um it's like they're trying to run out the good people well, um, let me see. If, if you're not done making fun of England yet, I got something else I could share with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let me introduce this story. Okay, so uh, from, now this is reporting this. This is like, yeah, it's really kind of a lefty news source called Now This. They make these little videos and they usually have kind of a lefty slant. But anyway, this, so they report that um, this is how it's, this is, let me just read what it says. The real life sport of Quidditch the real life sport of Quidditch, which I have to stop there. There is a fictional sport of Quidditch from the Harry Potter books. And that's what it's referring to. But I learned this week that there's a real life version of that. <laughs> so the real life sport of Quidditch, which was inspired by the Harry Potter franchise, has officially changed its name to Quadball. The governing bodies of the sport, U.S. Quidditch and Major League Quidditch. <laughs> How did I not know about this? are behind the name change and will now be known as U.S. Quadball and Major League Quadball. So the reason they're doing this is Quidditch was this game in the Harry Potter books where the people are flying around on broomsticks and they're trying to catch the golden snitch, right? And basically they've made a real-life version of this game where people run around with sticks between their legs. <laughs> Let me just bring this up. It's got to be a photograph or a video or something. Yeah, I, ha I had to see this for myself. So I went to Google and typed this in. And <laughs> there's people running around. They just put like, I don't know, they're just like a broomstick without the broom attached. They just put a stick between their legs and run around on a soccer field. And they try to throw these little balls through hula hoops. <laughs> I must say the... Uh... The Harry Potter version looks a lot more interesting than this. <laughs> Ooh, that gets a little rough. Yeah. It's not an easy game in the movie. I mean, they're, yeah, they basically have they have to play this one-handed, pick up the balls and throw them one-handed because they're using the other hand to hold their stick. <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous looking thing. And then I saw this one guy. I, I guess he's the holder of the golden snitch. He has to walk around with this... Um, <laughs> it's a tail yeah this tennis ball dangling from his butt <laughs> this would be an embarrassing game to play i, I know it's, it's embarrassing to even be watching it so <laughs> if you're looking for two minutes of entertainment go go google this go it's look not it even, up on youtube it, it's not satire either it's, no it's just this is sad. a real thing now let's talk about why they're changing it okay right i had to stop and just like look at why they're they're making this a sport. They're changing the name because J.K. Rowling or Rowling, however you say it, she's the writer of the Harry Potter books. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but so she's this, I mean, she's always been a left winger. You know, she's, I mean, she's just this famous author. Um, she, after the Harry Potter series got done, she came out and announced years ago, you know, Dumbledore is gay. Now, there wasn't anything about this in the books or the movies, but... She comes out years later and she's like, I just want you all to know Dumbledore's gay, so I had a gay character in my books. You know, trying to trying to be like this pro-LGBT um, celebrity. Well, then a, a couple of years ago, they start putting transgender, like biological men in sports with 
biological girls because the person's transgender, so they say that they're a female. And of course, dominating in all these sports and taking awards away from actual girls. And J.K. Rowling, you know, she's always been the she's been pro L, she's been pro G, she's been pro B. But when it comes to the T, and she's been pro T, but she doesn't think that biological men should be stealing opportunities away from biological women. And so she spoke up against this, and the left wing has totally turned on her to the point that this stupid sport that who even watches, I don't think you find this on ESPN. I don't know where you watch it. But where they feel like, oh, we still, we still need to keep playing the sport, <laughs> that they love running around with that stick between their legs. But they, they have to change the name of it to distance themselves from J.K. Rowling. So that's where the story comes from. But, uh, you know, it's just amazing that you can agree with the, the, left, the leftist dogma 99% of the time. But if you argue on one little point, I mean, they cast you out, don't they? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I, I enjoyed the books. They were, uh, I read them, what, sixth grade, mm-hmm. seventh grade? I read all the books several times. I really enjoyed the books. I, I've watched all the movies several times, and I enjoyed the movies. I thought the actors were good, and the plots mm-hmm. were good. I'm not yeah. a... It's I'm, a great story. Yeah, it's a, it's a good story, and it's a, it's a cool universe she made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I personally, <laughs> I didn't see anything. Dumbledore being gay. No, that was I, just I, something they made up later. Yeah, I know, I know. It, it's uh, but you're you're right. I mean, she did this to to you know make herself look all progressive years ago. Yeah, uh, you know, even though she didn't have the guts to even put a gay storyline in the books, and I'm glad she didn't. But I mean, she wouldn't even go that far. But to just try to be pro LGBT, you know, she says this years ago. That's not good enough for them. You know, here we are years later, since she opposes some of the most radical of the transgender ideology going on right now i mean they are they they had a harry potter reunion if sometime in the past year they did this thing on hbo they did this harry potter reunion Mm -hmm. and brought all the stars together and they and they said they weren't going to invite her because you know they they're throwing her they're they're casting her out (laughs) well the the people who made their who who became famous off the movies are the same people who cast the uh, yeah, they, they cast the person who made the whole whole world. Exactly. I mean, without her, they wouldn't. They'd be nothing. I mean, who who would know, know any of those people? Without her, there'd be no quad ball. Yeah, <laughs> we'd world would be better off for it, most likely. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Which I will say, I, I do like the stories, but the Quidditch parts are the most boring parts of the whole thing for me. I just and, and yeah, and then the movies they're pretty cool because they're action packed, but it's hard to write down. I mean, any sport, it's hard to yeah. write that down in print and read through it i'm not much of a sports guy myself even even in the movies i kind of lose interest on those scenes but but well um you have to respect jk rowling though i mean at least if she if she stands by not supporting i mean yeah i mean even even if she supported the other things in the past you got to give her credit for seeing the (laughs) it's all it's all insane to me right but you have to at least she put her foot down and said no more insanity after a certain point I respect that too because ninety percent of these politicians, I mean, the celebrities, they cave in. They say something offensive, even if it's not really offensive. But people get offended. They immediately come out and apologize. You know, they go on the apology tour. She's never done that. She's not apologizing, so she hasn't backed down. And that's part of why they hate her so much because she yeah. didn't apologize. Yeah, I mean, you got to respect her for that. I wish wish more people would would put their foot down on. Yeah, on certain issues. I mean, there's the, like I said, there comes a point when you just gotta 
enough is enough. You can't can't be forced to do any more. Yeah. All right. Well, Jared, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I got a couple more things to ask you about. Um, All right. We had an election this week for Missouri, and uh, you know, like I said, you're you're from Kansas. You do live in Missouri now. Live over here in Joplin. So did you did you go out and vote on Tuesday? I didn't, and I, I wish I did. Um, that was the first night we were doing the VBS thing, and I I got so distracted. And right right at what six forty five, yeah, uh, someone walked in with an I voted sticker, uh-huh. and I was like, rats. Yeah, it closed I, at I, seven. I forgot. I was like, there's not going to be enough time for me to drive to my polling place. Well, did you have any opinions on who was running? Uh, no, not really. Um, I, I I haven't hardly seen any too much advertisements for politicians. Hmm. Um. And recently, I think I got one advertisement in the mail. Yeah, and I've got flooded with them. Yeah. I've been so sick of them too. They're they're all just being so negative and hateful. Well, I mean, the guys are just primaries. Are. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's like they they are tearing each other down. In fact, on one of them, I, I voted for the guy. He didn't end up winning. I voted for the guy who I had got the most negative hate mail things about <laughs> because. I just thought, you know what, if they are going to, because I, I basically I got some like, I got some negative ads in the mail. I kept getting about the same guy and I looked into them and I found out that they were like not even true. All the, the hate or they were, they were very skewed. He looked like he was still a good guy. So I just went ahead and voted for him because I thought if they're trying so hard to destroy this guy, <laughs> maybe there's something good about him, you know, because everything I looked into him seemed solid. So one of them I voted for. It was just someone who I got the most hate mail about. But the one I was most excited to see was that Eric Schmidt won for the Senate race. It's just the primary, mm, yeah. but, but he won for that here in Missouri. And I think there were a lot of good candidates in that race, but I really didn't want this one guy, Eric Greitens, to win. Um, I just felt like if he got picked, it was going to be a disaster. So I'm really glad Missouri chose Eric Schmidt. Do you know much about Eric Schmidt or... Or any of that stuff. No, he's the the attorney, isn't he? The the, the state attorney, attorney general. Yeah, attorney general. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I he he seems to do what he says, and you know he's like conservative. So mm-hmm. that's actually nice to have a, a conservative with with a backbone. <laughs> right. He's actually standing up to some of this stuff. He put his foot down about um, how some of the schools were trying to teach the, teach the critical race theory, and he basically banned that from the schools, said you can't put that in the textbooks, and when they still tried to anyway, like they tried up in Springfield, um, he got in on that. He said, no, you can't teach that. So he, I don't know if he took him to court or what he did, but he made him stop. I mean, I appreciate that. You know, they wasn't just, like you said, he wasn't just giving lip service to it. He actually followed through and stopped them from teaching that. Um, he, on some of the COVID restrictions that were going way overboard, you know, he came out and said the schools, you know, they cannot enforce that all the students have to keep wearing masks. This was like way into the whole pandemic when they knew the masks weren't doing anything and that students were not vectors of transmission. He stepped in and he said, you know what? The schools do not have to enforce that the kids all have to wear masks. And so he put a stop to that. I just appreciate that. Like you said, he puts his money where his mouth is. Yeah, you know, most politicians, they, they don't do that. Yeah, so. <laughs> they'll say stuff. They'll say that they oppose it, but they won't actually do anything to stop some of this nonsense. Yeah, I mean, even if they don't vote for it, you're almost voting for it if you don't if you don't vote against it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, um, yeah, I thought it, I was really happy with how Missouri did on how a lot of the votes went uh, in the in the primaries thing this week. Um, nationally, a few months ago, they were saying the Republicans would easily take the Senate in November. After this week, they've actually changed that forecast. They say it's more likely now that the Democrats keep control of the Senate. And the reason, there is a lot of Republican enthusiasm right now, but they have not been picking very great candidates in these primaries to run in November. Mm. Yeah, that's a problem with Republicans. You see, the Democrats, (laughs) they just unite. And the Republicans, it doesn't matter if there's an R next to the name or not. They actually have to be a halfway decent candidate or the Republican Party is shattered. Because you have moderate Republicans, you have, you know, independents, you might say. Mm-hmm. And uh, they really don't know who to choose. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Democrats, they're always able to band around someone who who can carry them through. And, and the Democrats, they follow through on what they say. You got to give them that. I mean, most of them do. Look they're they're they crazy. With... They're insane. Yeah. But at least they, they do it. No matter. <laughs> for... Look what they did in their primaries for president. They had Bernie Sanders winning, and they did thought, well, we don't know if Bernie will do good in November. So all the others dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean— And got it, Joe Biden. And, and all the voters did, too. I mean, obviously, Bernie still got some votes, but I'm sure he did. But Yeah, um, but then they felt they all fell into line. Yeah, they, they all just banded around. And Republicans, they don't do that. Right. So, And I think it's one reason is that Republicans, they're more independently minded, you yeah. know? So, and that's a good thing. But then, yeah, you have these situations come up to where— Maybe only 70% of Republicans like this candidate, so only 70% of them are going to go out and vote for him, and the other 30% are going to stay home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, um, you got you, <laughs> you to gotta stand up once again. Um, I know some people don't like like some politicians but yeah. for, for petty things, but it's either that or you let the enemy win. Right. <laughs> and so here's where some of the races are looking troubling. And I, like I said, I think Missouri did a good job. They picked, they could have picked Eric Grattans, who was the crazier candidate. They didn't. And I'm, I'm so glad. I'm thankful for that. So Missouri's set to win in November. Um, down in Georgia, they picked a former football player. This is the thing. These, I think ever since Donald Trump became president, Republicans are like kind of starstruck that they're going for the celebrity names instead of the the people who actually, frankly, know what they're doing. <laughs> so so they went to... Um, Be careful about that. Reagan was an actor. Well, hey, <laughs> yeah, Reagan was an actor, and he did great. And he was and, this... I guess he was the governor of California he, for a he, while, That's true. So he had some experience. And and Trump did a great job. So I think the Republicans have latched onto that, and now they, they nominated Herschel Walker down in Georgia. He's a former football player, and that's why he's picked, you know, to be honest, because he's a celebrity. He's a sports star. But he's not doing so great. And Georgia should be pretty winnable for a Republican. And he's not doing a great job uh, on this campaign. He's he's not doing great in the polls because he keeps making mistakes. And he was like, he wouldn't even do a debate with the Democrat, probably because he was afraid he'd be made to look foolish. But he just announced today he was finally going to give in and do the debate. So that you know that's not a good look for him. They nominated Dr. Oz over there in Pennsylvania. He's probably going to lose Pennsylvania now. And that's that's just a disgrace because we could have won Pennsylvania Pennsylvania this year. Um, but Dr. Oz doesn't even live in Pennsylvania. He's running for senator of Pennsylvania. He's not even campaigning right now in Pennsylvania. It was just a mistake to nominate him. And then um, in Ohio, uh, 
they picked the uh, the book author, who I've heard is a pretty good guy, but they picked the book author. I can't think of his name right now. Um, J.D. Vance, I think. It sounds familiar. Yeah, so they, they nominated the book author, who's a celebrity for writing a famous book. Um, I think about Hillbillies or something, but it was a famous book. They picked him, and... Uh, I think he's a pretty good guy, but they said that he's running against a really good opponent in Ohio. So the Republicans are nominating these celebrities, and now they're changing the forecast to say these are not people who have a great shot of winning the actual seats in November. And that's a disappointment because we this was supposed to be our year. So. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a thing. Even by, The Democrats could, could say the wrong thing over and over again. And the liberals are still going to vote for him. Mm-hmm. But Republicans make one slip up and no one votes for him. Yeah. It, it's it's incredible the difference in mentality between the two two uh, two sides. And I'm not, not surprised. Republicans like to shoot themselves in the foot all the time. Snatching, they're snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and no one can do it like Republicans. Okay. Well, Jared, I'm going to let you go. I got one more question for you. Right. Are you worried about monkeypox? Personally, no, and I don't know anyone who should. So, <laughs> well, that's I'm glad to hear that. All right, hey Jarrett, thanks for being with us. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Thank All right, you. next we're gonna go into our uh, one of my favorite segments. What's racist for this week? Everything is racist. Oh, that was a great segment. Uh, I'll have to get Jared on here again sometime um, if he's willing. I hope he had a good time too. All right, uh, so we're gonna talk about what's racist for this week. I've got four of them for you here. So we'll start off with this. Recessions are racist. I mean, after all, we're already redefining it. Well, the the media wants you to know, um, if you want to go with the old definition of what a recession meant, not only are you, or not only is that old news, also it's racist. CNN Business says, who decides if the U.S. is in a recession? Eight white economists who you've never heard of. <laughs> so... CNN business, CNN, like so-called objective reporting. They want you to know the people who came up with the definition of recession. Well, they were white and you don't even know their names because who knows the names of any economists? Actually, I will say this. The only economist that I know by by name actually happens to be a black man, Thomas Sell. But I bet CNN business is not interested in what he has to say either. Okay. From, uh, from several, from several places, ballet is racist. Daily Mail reports a top British dance school has dropped ballet from its auditions after branding it an elitist art form built around white European ideas and body shapes. The Northern School of Contemporary Dance reviewed the dance as part of a wider plan to decolonize the curriculum and consider the impact of race and gender on dance. So uh, one of the top British dance schools has has banned ballet. Um, you know, ballet. I mean, who needs ballet anymore, right? I mean... At a dance school, come on. Learning one of the classical art forms in dance, like, sure. Must not be that important. Okay. Football 365 reports that English women are racist. Here's their headline. England women are superb, but they are all white. Why? And should this be fixed? (laughs) I'm not sure how they mean fixing that problem, that England women are all white. And I think they're actually talking about the soccer team, that the soccer players is an all-white team. That's a that's for some reason that's a problem. Again, it's the team from England, a European historically very white country. And then here's the last one and this is the craziest one for this time. Anne Frank is racist. 
That's right. Anne Frank turned it on Twitter uh, as users on the social media platform debated whether the Holocaust victim was a beneficiary of white privilege. Advantages that society supposedly bestows on those who are racially white. Anne Frank had white privilege, said one Twitter user. Bad things happen to people with white privilege, but also don't tell the whites that. That was a quote um, that was shared on several different... <laughs> there was a lot of quotes trying to prove the case that, that Anne Frank is uh, a beneficiary of white privilege. And so why is this debate going on? And I got to point out, you know, yeah, she's Jewish. But according to the left, Jewish people are white because they are typically successful. So they get categorized with white people. And therefore, they say Anne Frank was a beneficiary of white privilege. Now, how come leftists can't admit that Anne Frank didn't have white privilege? Well, they won't admit that because doing so would destroy white privilege as a concept. Um, if whites don't always have privilege 100% of the time, then that opens the door to talking about whether every white person in America always has white privilege 100% of the time. If we don't, if there are circumstances where a white person might not necessarily have privilege, then you can't just use the term white privilege as a blanket term for all your problems whenever you want to demonize white people. And so leftism demands that you demonize white people so they can't give up this concept of white privilege. They will even make the case that Anne Frank herself benefited from white privilege. Now, let me say this, because we've kind of talked about some of these subjects before. Let me say something that might be a little shocking. I believe in white privilege. I also believe in black privilege. I believe in male privilege. I believe in female privilege. I believe there are certain things that you can, we might say, get away with in society that depend a lot of times on your skin color or your gender uh, or your age. Okay. So if you're a black rapper, you can use the N-word a million times, you know, in your songs. Nobody seems to care. They'll buy the songs. You'll get promoted and lauded in Hollywood. Now, if you're a white CEO and you use the word one time, even in trying to be non-offensive about it, just using it um, mechanically, use it one time, you have to resign from your job. That's what happened to the, the Papa John's. I think it was Papa John's, um, their CEO, Papa John himself had to resign because he used the word as an example of something that would be racist, and that was too much. Now, I hate to, you know, I hesitate to even call using the N-word a privilege because I don't think it's something that anybody should do, you know, ever. But the fact remains, there's some people in society who could get away with using it, and then there's other people who would have their lives ruined if they use it. And that distinguishing factor, that's based on the skin color of the person saying it. Uh, when it comes to gender, women can get out of speeding tickets more easily than men. Women usually have nicer bathrooms than men. Women have longer life expectancies. Now, am I just going to sit around and try to figure out all the ways that there are benefits to being a woman and whine about woman privilege? No, I recognize there's benefits to being a man too. So I'm not going to live my life blaming people who are different from me in some way for the things I don't have. Second, I want to say this about the whole leftist practice of blaming racism and supremacy and privilege for everything. Whenever your woke ideology, when it leads you to a place where you're saying that Anne Frank had white privilege, 
Anne Frank, who was hunted by the Nazis, carted off to a concentration camp, and later died there in misery. Anne Frank, who never lived to see her 16th birthday, when you call her a racist and say that she had benefits for her skin color, that's when you really need to take a step back and reanalyze your entire worldview. And you have lots of opportunities to do this. Worldviews, they are based on premises that lead to certain attitudes that lead to certain actions. Now, sometimes you can recognize a bad worldview when it's based on a bad premise. But if you don't catch it at the premise level, sometimes you can recognize it when it leads to bad attitudes. If you're filled with bitterness and envy at entire races or genders of people, it's probably a bad worldview. And other times, you can catch it at the action level, all right? If your worldview causes you to call a Jewish teenager who was hunted by the Nazis a racist and say that that person had white privilege, you need to recognize that your worldview is taking you to some bad places. It's rotten to the core. It's incorrect. And it's immoral. And it's making you a bad person. And that's what woke leftism is. It makes people light their own neighborhoods on fire in race riots and then calls them fiery but mostly peaceful. It makes people hate the rich and desire their wealth. It makes doctors mutilate the bodies of healthy children because they get declared transgender. And whenever you see all this, you have to stop and take a step back and recognize that your worldview, it's wrong at every level. It has wrong premises and these lead to bad attitudes and it's producing these ridiculous and evil outcomes. Now, before I close down later, I just want to go ahead and mention this here. If you want to get in touch with Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, you can send us an email to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. If you see some fake news, send it our way. Whoever gets it to us first will get credit for it. And also to stay in touch throughout the week or, or throughout the month, if we have to take that long of a break again, we're on Twitter at Fake News Weekly. And I say if we have to take that long of a break because um, let me give a little life update. I'm in the midst of a move right now. I've been transitioning out of this job that I'm in currently. Uh, I've, I've been transitioning over the past month, really. And so that's why I haven't had a new episode since July the 4th. I hate not having a new episode out. It's not that there wasn't fun things to talk about. I've just been so busy. I went on a couple trips and I've just, I've had a lot going on. So um, summer is usually a, a slow news time anyway, but I just hope you can forgive me for that. And I'm just going to tell you now, I don't know when I'm going to be back with new episodes. It's going to take me some time to get my bearings and figure out what, what I need to do. So I will I definitely intend to be back, but I've got to figure some things out first and just going to ask you all to be patient, be praying for me. Um, if you like Bible studies, or if you just really dig the sound of my voice, I have another podcast, which is also going to need to take a little break as I get resituated. But I have more episodes available on that podcast, too. If you like Bible studies, it's called Cross References. And so it's not a news podcast. It's not about current events. I, I actually consider it my main podcast. I try to get new episodes of that one on Mondays. So go look up Cross References. I got a backlog of episodes on that, too. Wherever you find this podcast, you can also find my other one, Let's go into our last segment for today. Let's do a Beyond the Headline. (laughs) 
When Donald Trump won the primaries back in 2016, he really had the Christian vote. And I was a little bit surprised by that myself. Um, among pastors, other candidates on the Republican side, they were leading ahead of Donald Trump. But if you looked at churchgoers at large in, in the, the polls that they did, Trump was clearly in the lead, even among churchgoers. Um, so ever since, uh, Dems, uh, Democrats, and also segments of the Republicans that we could call the anti-Trump Republicans, they have really fixated on this idea of what they call Christian nationalism. Now, you might say, what is Christian nationalism? Well, it's one of those terms that doesn't have a hard definition. It's just whatever anybody wants it to mean at any given time. Uh, liberals don't want to give it a firm definition because if they did, then they'd have to defend it and discuss what it actually means. And so it's easier for them to just look at any of any expression of Christianity that they don't like and just declare it to be Christian nationalism. And that brings us to our new story that we're going to do a Beyond the Headline segment on for this week. It's called, it's from CNN. An imposter Christianity is threatening American democracy. So the article opens by describing people at the January 6th, 2021 rally, that one that later turned into a riot at the Capitol. And they do this to imply that there was a toxic mixture, mixture of Christianity and politics. And that has been kind of true since the founding of the country. But they especially want you to connect Christianity with January 6th. And so they do this to introduce the idea that January 6th was an example of something called Christian nationalism, which we're going to dig into in a few moments. The second paragraph of this piece, it makes a statement about January 6th. It, it, they say this, it was what some call a Christian revolt. Now, when I read that sentence in the piece, that some call this a Christian revolt, I'm like, who is calling it a Christian revolt? So I click on the link that they put, and they link to Washington Post. So basically what we have here is that the liberal media has declared January 6th a Christian movement. And then later they clutch their pearls over it and say, well, people are saying it's a Christian movement. When they say that, they mean themselves. They are calling it that themselves and then reporting on their own opinion to say, well, actually, it was not just an insurrection. It was a Christian revolt. So let me keep reading the, the article here. The insurrection marked the first time many Americans realized that the U.S. is facing a burgeoning white Christian nationalist movement. This movement uses Christian language to cloak sexism and hostility to black people and non-white immigrants in its quest to create a white Christian America. I mean, there's so many things we could say about that paragraph. First of all, January 6th, it was not an insurrection. I got to keep saying that because the liberal media thinks that if they just say something enough times, that that's going to make it true. It's not a true statement. It's not, I mean, that's not an insurrection. That's not even an opinion-based statement. Calling January 6th an insurrection is just factually wrong. And that's why CNN keeps saying it. <laughs> now, notice here that it says Christian nationalism uses Christian language to cloak hostility to non-white people and that it desires a white Christian America. Look for them to make zero efforts to defend that statement. They're just going to assert that January 6th had something to do with this, and they will never back that statement up. So what does Christian nationalism mean? Well, on its surface, it sounds like it's saying 
that you want your country to be a Christian nation. Um, like if being a nationalist means that you want to put your country first, I guess a Christian nationalist is somebody who wants Christian values put first in their country. But when I think of it like that, isn't that every Christian? I mean, what kind of Christian out there is saying, well, I believe in God and the Bible and that Christian values are best, but I just want to follow some other belief system whenever it comes to how my country operates. You know, if someone said that, it doesn't really make sense. So I don't know if that's what Christian nationalism is supposed to mean. Does Christian nationalism mean that you want to force everybody in your country to identify as a Christian? Well, I don't think, I don't want that. I don't think anybody wants that. So it's just a term that could be used in a bunch of different ways. And the way that someone feels about it, it just depends on what way that the phrase is being used. And so anytime somebody wants to talk about Christian nationalism, what you need to first do is make them define it. Define what they mean when they say the phrase Christian nationalism. And most of the time, people are not going to want to do that. Now, the CNN piece, it's going to give what it says are the three identifiers of Christian nationalism. But let's go through them because these identifiers, they don't actually even give you a, a hard definition of what Christian nationalism is. So it says, number one is a belief that the U.S. was founded as a Christian nation. And here's how it describes that belief. It says, Erasing the line separating piety from politics is a key characteristic of white Christian nationalism. Many want to reduce or erase the separation of church and state, say those who study the movement. So here's my problem with that accusation. This idea that um, we shouldn't say the U.S. is a Christian nation uh, because that erodes the line of separation between church and state. My problem with that as an accusation, it's only ever leveled against one side of the political aisle. It's only ever leveled against the Republican or the conservative side. When a right-leaning person cites their Christian belief for the basis of their opinion on something, and even many times when they don't cite it, what we're told is that we have a problem with separation of church and state, that we can't use the Bible as a basis for our laws. But when you see a Democrat go out who claims to be a Christian and they decide to spout off about having open borders and they love to quote from Leviticus where it says to, to love the immigrant, they're never told that it's suddenly wrong to erase the line between piety and politics. They aren't accused of being Christian nationalists when they want the Bible to somehow be twisted to promote their their policies on immigration. No, this is an attack that's only ever leveled against Republican positions. Okay, you've heard this said for years that when, when Christians opposed the redefinition of marriage, we were told that America is not a theocracy, that we can't let ourselves be governed by the Bible. But when Barack Obama said that he suddenly supported gay marriage back in 2012, he cited the Bible as the reason he did. Quoting from Jesus, inciting the golden rule. Now, whenever he did this, I don't remember a bunch of leftists going out and screeching about how now they're living in a theocracy that the president is letting the Bible direct his opinion on the gay marriage issue because it's not an accusation that's rooted in any principles or any firm definition. These people don't have principles. It's just an accusation that they use to smear conservatives. Okay, so then the CNN article, it gives a second belief, what they say is a second belief, 
of Christian nationalists. It's a belief in a warrior Christ. A belief in a warrior Christ. Here's what it, here's what it says. They follow a different Jesus than the one depicted in the Gospels, says Kristen Dumez, who is a professor of history and gender studies at Calvin University, a Christian school in Michigan. They follow the Jesus depicted, talking about Christian nationalists, it says, they follow the Jesus depicted in the book of Revelation, the warrior with eyes like flames of fire and a robe dipped in blood, who led the armies of heaven on white horses in a final triumphant battle against the forces of the Antichrist. Uh, Kristen Dumez is this author, professor. She's famous for writing a book called Jesus and John Wayne, and that's all about how Christians are patriarchal and anti-women and Christian nationalists and how they've made America this racist, evil place. And Dumez is not a Christian. I mean, she claims to be, but she doesn't hold Christian beliefs. And here's an example right here from her quote. She said, you know, she doesn't believe in the Jesus of the book of Revelation. She says, if you follow the the Jesus of Revelation, then you don't follow the Jesus of the Gospels. But that's not a Christian belief. We believe that there's only one Jesus. We don't say that we follow the Jesus of one book of the Bible, but not another book. Jesus is the same Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Revelation, and everywhere else that he shows up in the Bible. There's not multiple Jesuses. So every Christian should say that they follow the Jesus of Revelation, that he's not a different Jesus from the Gospels. I mean, that's such an immature understanding of theology to say that they are two different Jesuses. But as I said, Dumez obviously doesn't know what she's talking about. That's why she's a university professor. They love to go on CNN and talk about things that they don't understand. So here's some more stuff that the article says. White Christian nationalists have refashioned Jesus into a kick-butt savior who's willing to smite enemies to restore America to a Christian nation by force if necessary, Dumez and others say. While warlike language like putting on the full armor of God has been uh, has long been common in Christian sermons and hymns, it has largely been interpreted as metaphorical. But many white Christian nationalists take that language literally. <laughs> now, I don't think there's any Christians out there taking it literally, okay? The CNN article claims this, but they don't give any examples of white Christian nationalists who take that language literally. They can't give any examples because it doesn't exist. And it's really hard to give examples of something that doesn't exist. Like, you know, if I said, let me give you some examples of honest articles that CNN has written. Well, if I was to stop and do that, this podcast would be exactly zero seconds longer than however long it actually ends up being, because I can't devote time to giving you examples of things that don't exist. It's, it's impossible. Okay, so here's the third belief of Christian nationalism, according to this piece. A belief that there's such a person as a real American. <laughs> Christian nationalism, it's this vague thing. This article says that we're going to give you the three uh, core beliefs of what it means to be a Christian nationalist. Okay, and here's the third one, that there's such a person as a real American. I mean, that's, that is how CNN puts it. I'm reading you literally what they said. And this is the shortest of all the sections on this CNN piece, because again, they give no examples of any Christian nationalists saying these things. I, you know, I, I'd have to look over it all again. But I don't think they even give an example of a single Christian nationalist in the whole piece. They just want you to know Christian nationalism 
is this like dangerous movement in America, but they can't like name a single person who's in this movement. I don't recall any names anyway. I might have to look again. Okay, here's what, here's what it says though about such a person as a real American. It says, the nation is divided between real Americans and other citizens who don't deserve the same rights, experts on white Christian nationalism say. So it's a, again, it's a charge levied by the experts, the so-called experts on white Christian nationalism, but they don't give one example of someone saying anything like this. It's just a smear. Okay, one of these experts that they're talking to is Philip Gorsky. He's a sociologist at Yale University, co-author of a book called The Flag and the Cross. And here's a quote from him. When white Christian nationalists claim an election was stolen, they are reflecting the belief that some votes don't count, he says. It's the idea that we are the people and our vote should count. And you're not the people. And you don't really deserve to have a voice, Gorsky says. It doesn't matter what the voting machines say because we know that all real Americans voted for Donald Trump. Now, the supposed experts say this about 2020, but what about the 2016 election? You had tons of Democrats claiming for years that Trump stole that election. What about 2000? You had Democrats claiming to this day that Bush stole that election because they only waited for the, the, the votes in Florida to be counted four times, and that wasn't enough to count all the votes, so all the votes weren't counted, so that election was stolen, according to the Democrats. Listen, after every election, there are sore losers. There's always people claiming that it wasn't fair, that people weren't given a chance, that, that it was rigged, all that stuff. That's common. But if you say that about elections now, it makes you a Christian nationalist. And this is something that's only levied at the Republicans because the Democrats won the last election. The next time they lose, you're going to see the Democrats going right back to claiming that it wasn't fair. So just remember, just remember that when the leftists decide to slap yet another label on you, half their arguments are them just desperately trying to label you as something to make them think that they win or that they understand you. Just remember that their labels mean nothing. In fact, just wear their labels with pride. I have no problem with being called a Christian nationalist. I mean, I couldn't care less what they want to call me. They can define it however they want. They probably have no firm definition in their mind. It's just something that they want to put on any conservative who reads the Bible and follows Jesus. Because I do follow Jesus, okay? I follow the one from Revelation. I follow the one in the Gospels. And I follow the one who said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now that's Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. It's one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And notice what it said right there. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus says to go after. Not the people, not the tribes, not your hometown. He says to convert the nations. So that's what I'm going to do, or try to. And if that makes me a Christian nationalist, then so be it, because I believe that the Jesus of Revelation is coming again someday, and that he is that warrior Jesus, as they said. So I want him to be happy with me whenever he shows up. I'm a little bit more afraid of warrior Jesus, who's dripping in the blood and has the flaming eyes. 
I'm a little bit more worried about him than the name-calling liberals. So I'm going to try to reach and change and make disciples of all the nations. And it's interesting that the one thing Jesus told us to do right before he left this earth, it's the exact thing that the Democrats are trying to demonize today. They're using a lot of supposed Christians to do it too. Supposed Christians like Kristen Dumez and Phil Vischer and David French, they've all decided that what they need to do right now is help demonize the concept of Christian nationalism. And I just wonder why. I mean, again, I can understand why Satan would want to try it, but why are the Democrats doing it too? Thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, if you hear anyone say that they got monkeypox from a handshake, that's just fake news. Okay.